when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Hi, everybody. This is Jason with a quick editorial aside. In the time that passed between the recording of this podcast and the deployment of this podcast, Oregon Governor John Kitzhaber resigned from office under the weight of the scandals that we mentioned in our report. This means that probably the shittiest thing that John Kitzhaber ever did was doing this now so that we could not take credit for pressuring him out of office. Go to hell, John Kitzhaber. So that happened. This week, America's ongoing battle with ISIS reached a new stage, specifically that stage where the president asked Congress if it's okay with them that he started this ongoing battle with ISIS. HuffPost congressional reporter Jen Bendery joins us to give us the skinny on our latest edition of War Making as a Legislative Farce. Meanwhile, closer to home, we have governors behaving badly. Sam Brownback wants gays to experience workplace discrimination. Scott Walker isn't sure he has the guts to talk about middle school science. And have you heard about all the nonsense that might bring about the resignation of Oregon Governor John Kitzhaber? We will run down the nonsense, because that's what we do. Finally, famous media people are leaving their famous media jobs. But did they jump, or were they pushed? I'm Jason Lincolns, with Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter and Jen Bendry. Here's what happened first. Hey, everybody. It's another edition of So That Happened. I'm Jason Lincolns, and today I am here, Avec. Zach Carter, senior political economy reporter for the Huffington Post. And joining us today, at long last... Jennifer Bendry. That's right. And what are you, Jen? I'm a reporter. <laughs> you don't you don't put on airs. I don't have long titles like Zach just made up right now. <laughs> Actually, Ryan made that up for me. Our boss, Ryan. Green right. Made up for Did me Ryan not make ago. you a title? He said I could make up one if I wanted. So I if said, you had to make up a title, what would you make up for yourself? Let's just say this place would be called BenderyPost.com. That's oh. true. Oh. I like the ambition. Ooh, president and CEO, yeah. Jen Bendery. Benevolent despot, Jen Bendery. Why do you think I'm so quiet all the time? I'm I plotting. know, because you're plotting. Yeah, exactly, because you've got secret plans in the works. <laughs> I just want, you know, if, since we're going to put it out there like that, I'll just wanna, I just want I just want to just say that I, I've always thought you are an extraordinary person to work with and perhaps potentially for, and I hope there's a place for me in your Can I have a raise? of terror. Just like a like not a big raise, but like a like a pretty big one. Hold on, <laughs> go on, Jason. Well, I just think you're 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 sensible and stylish, and you're the best photo bomber we have. I think on staff. Oh, that's fair, right? Ask Joe Biden. Like I take pictures of just like empty scenery and go home, and like Jen Bendry's in the mall. It's weird. It's seriously strange. I don't know how you do it. I'm small and I move fast. <laughs> so, so Jen, you cover Congress, and uh, and there's been some some interesting stuff happening in Congress this year. Am I right? Some things, yeah. What What is this authorization for the use of military force business? I, I keep seeing it. I just say "omph" to myself, oomph. and I don't know. Do what you want to lay down a beat because it's like "omph, omph, omph, omph," right? Yeah. Right there, you go. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there a we're not too? we're not good? I have not had enough music. caffeine yet. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you guys are like flying off the chart. <laughs> It's what Jeez. we do. I don't we actually. Do. I, don't, I don't actually drink caffeine. I think it's. Uh, I think it makes me. You too just inject out. it straight. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up with Omph? So an Omph is the president's request for war authorization. So the president finally, after months of lawmakers waiting, sent over his proposal for what kind of limits he wants on the war that's currently going on against the Islamic State, and there's. It, I mean, there's there's a lot of irony in this. I mean, he, there's a war authorization request coming six months after we've already been at war. Right. There have been like 2,000 U.S.-led airstrikes. There's a, and there's like deadlines involved in that. We Like, he's allowed to like start some shit and then like after a certain amount of time come back and say, oh, is it okay that I did this? Well, 
He's operating under a former umph from 2001, which is really, really sweeping and lets the president do just about anything if there's any connection at all to al-Qaeda. So they never really tightened that one up. So now Obama's saying, look, Congress, I would really like you to pass a new war authorization for me to go after ISIS, but I can already do it anyway. <laughs> so it'd be great <laughs> if you did, because then it looks like we're all in agreement. But the reality is I've already been taking military action for months, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I have the authority to do it anyway. It's but right. but P.S., please pass a new one anyway. So so why does he actually want something to be, to be passed? I, I don't quite understand. If he feels like he has legal authority to do this under the existing war authorization, what, what is actually the point of, of a new one? Well, he wasn't going to send a new one for a while. He's been saying, I have the authority. I don't need to send a new one. But there were some people on Capitol Hill were saying, who disagree that you can use a 14-year-old umph. Which is kind of a change. I mean, I mean, in previous, previously on America's ridiculous wars, uh, everything has been kind of like green stamp by green, rubber stamp by Congress, uh, and they they've shown really no real willingness to like jump in and like say no, well, you know we. we we, we remember we have some constitutional authority in all this. Well, Congress is in this place where they, they like to, as, as one senator told me this week, they like to beat their chest and say, we're the ones who control war authorization. It's right. congressional, it's the constitutional right of Congress to yeah, do this. We're the ones, we have the power, but, but we don't really want to do it. <laughs> so well, so Obama year, right? did this. This is Obama's war. Yeah. Well, and that's convenient, right? Because then, I mean, wars tend to be messy even if they go well. I mean, messy is a nice word. I mean, like lots of people die <laughs> and they die horribly. Countries get broken. Even, even when the war is, quote unquote, a good war. Um, so, so this, you know, by, by refusing to pass a new war authorization, the GOP can just say, well, well, wait a minute. Every, every bad thing that happened in this war is Obama's fault. We never approved of this, but not actually have to run the risk of, of, to, of, of avoiding the actual war if they're, if they're kind of into it. Well, they can make the case that if they don't approve a new AOMF that, hey, we never signed off on this war. This was Obama's war. But at the same time, they've been funding it all along. So that's a pretty weak argument. And then if you take a step further back, the AOMF that they're debating, even if they do pass it, the president still already believes he has the authority to do this. So the the new AOMF, really, the only practical purpose of it is to get Congress on record in support of what we're doing. That's it. It but doesn't th- change the parameters of what we're doing. Okay, but you say that's the only practical purpose of it. But my impression was that the the whole reason we do this, uh, honestly, it's 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 super farcical. But the only reason that we do this whole off procedure is because ostensibly the president has a vision of warfare and then he needs to send sort of a <laughs> message to the American people <clears throat> and to Congress, their elected representatives. These are the parameters in which I'm going to pursue this military action. These are the timelines. These are the limitations. So did this off not come with like a sort of like set, of limitations on what can be done? They do. But what's different now is that we have this lingering 2001 AOMF that was so sweeping that we've never had one like that before. That one, again, just said the president can use any military force he wants on any person, organization, or country connected to al-Qaeda. And there was no expiration date on it. Right. So we've never had anything like that before. And so now this is the first time since then Can I just dig that we've had to bring on, up a new one. I mean, it, it, isn't there something that, I mean, I know the president has been saying that he has authority under that, that OMF from 2001, but it just strikes me as a little bit odd that an OMF written in 2001 would apply to a group like ISIS, which is ostensibly who we are fighting in, in Syria and Iraq right now. Yeah, which, which didn't exist. I mean, ISIS is an offshoot of another offshoot of al-Qaeda that didn't come into existence until after the United States invaded Iraq. I just It just strikes me as very strange that this— And what's their connection to al-Qaeda? Last I checked, al-Qaeda thought these guys were, like, way too much for they them. Used to, that's kind of the idea that, that uh, ISIS used to be part of— Al-Qaeda. And then they had a falling out because Al-Qaeda thought ISIS was too extreme. It was like so an episode on I mean, terrorist Brady like, Bunch. It does sound crazy. <laughs> like they had a falling out as terrorist groups that one was too crazy for the other one. So they had a split. And so the White House's argument has been, well, they used to be part of Al-Qaeda. It is a matter. It we can rely on the old AUMF. Some well, people disagree. Well, though. we did learn about what was going on in the life of bin Laden and al-Qaeda late in his life was that uh, bin Laden became kind of obsessed with branding and 
Al Qaeda's bad brand in the Muslim world. He wanted he wanted to disrupt the, the terror network. <laughs> you know what? It, it all sounds it all sounds quite silly, but but documents retrieved um, from the uh, from his uh, is that true? Pakistan he was worried about the image of Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was reported in the Washington Post, and that he was worried he was worried that uh, that they had to sort of like change up their branding because uh, the Muslim world was turning against Al Qaeda, and obviously ISIS has no such. Uh, doubts in their mind. They're, they they uh, they have a crazy plan to to. I mean, the the professed plan. What ISIS is trying to do is set up a caliphate. But if you if you talk to anyone who knows anything about Islam, is that none of these guys truly have the religious authority to establish a caliphate. It's all complete, like high flown, hallucinatory nonsense. And uh, but but it also, you know, it also kind of reflects ISIS's weird nihilistic worldview that they just don't care. Whatever the whatever the rules were, are, will be, they don't apply to them and they'll set them at their own terms. Um, and so that's part of why there's been this sort of like ongoing dispute with them and and Al Qaeda, although although there's been I've also read that there's been signs that they've been kind of warming up to each other more recently. <laughs> it sounds like a, a couple, like an old couple. It is It's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 two terrorist groups. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, like you're too violent for us. Yeah, we blew up the World Trade Center, but you guys, <laughs> you guys want are, to behead people on camera. You guys are That's nuts. Too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. It well, it's you know we we all we're all of the mind that ISIS is just like gross assholes, but we're, at we're the not same ISIS time, supporters here. At the same time, uh, yeah, we're not ISIS supporters. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll be a different podcast. <laughs> but but if, but the, but I think you can still be opposed to ISIS and and think that there's something a little bit strange uh, and very uncomfortable, which I think Democrats would have pitched a fit over had had George W. Bush done this about about uh, g- going around saying you need authorization for a war that you've been carrying out for months already. That yeah, seems so very, very weird. You've been talking to senators. How does this break? Does this break down neatly along party lines or is there any kind of like weirdness going on? There's weirdness all over on this one. I mean, by and large, Republicans don't want to put any restrictions on the president. They want him to be not just this president, but the next president right. to do whatever they need to do to get ISIS, like no restrictions. So they kind of have to break for the, from their whole like, Obama's a dictator. Yeah, this is the and be one like, time. And be like, Obama, be a dictator. Yeah. All the ones who have trashed him for being an imperial president are now asking for him to yeah. please become Colonel more Kurtz on these imperial. <laughs> right, yeah, they yeah. want that in this case. I mean, and that's li- we're talking, imperial is not like a, like a slate of hand word there. I mean, literally, go bomb people for us without any checks on your power. I mean, that's that is, and we'll of, keep funding it. So, where does where, does this place Democrats in a bind? I mean, imagine there are a lot of Democrats who maybe support the president's initiative just because of just pure tribalism. So the so Democrats, I, I don't think I've heard a single person say they like the proposal as it is, which is kind of the point that you know it's going to get amended, it's right. going to go through House and Senate committees, and everyone's going to make changes to it. But Democrats are concerned that it goes too far, and there's too many too many open-ended parts to it. There's language in it that says something like, you know, we won't use ground troops except in cases that involve, you know, search and, oper- search and rescue ops, intel ops. That's the only time we can use ground troops. Otherwise, it's explicitly banned. And the phrase they have in there is enduring ground combat operations or defensive combat operations. So the word enduring has really ruffled people. They're like, what does that mean? Enduring. And I mean, it's almost like a philosophy 101 class on Capitol Hill right now. So many Democrats are like, what is enduring? And it's come up so many times. And some people are like, what is offensive ground troops versus defensive? And Are we talking about the ontic ground troops or the ontological ground troops? <laughs> right. For our Heidegger listeners out there. So it's still, it's still quite, it's, it's like we're wrestling with sand. Uh, Kind of. I mean, the, the idea was that this AOMF would come over ready to be amended. Because right. how are you going to bring together one group of people who thinks it should be really open-ended and the other group of people who wants it really tight? I mean, that, how do you, I don't know if they can even do it. What I mean, ha- you used to be able to do that in Congress, though. You, there would be a, a series of amendments offered and then they would vote on it and then the bill would either pass or not pass. Well, I think there, there's also this sense that <laughs> Once it, upon a time. if they don't Crazy do time. anything... The benefit for them is, A, they don't have their fingerprints on this war if something goes wrong, and B, that 2001 AOMF is still out there and it continues to be the legal backing that the president is using for attacking ISIS. So 
Don't they have their fingerprints on the 2001 AUMF? I mean, they approved that. I mean, that. some of them who are here. But they can say, oh, well, Obama's taking that and running. Yeah, I mean, that's already been out there. And Obama's taking an old thing that was never intended for this. And, and a lot of them aren't there. Yeah, have that sort was of 14 a, years ago. You have a sort of Ned Stark problem that the people who pass sentence aren't swinging the blade. Okay, so so how do you think this is? What do you, do you have a fix on like an end game here? I, guess? I mean, it just came yesterday, so right. we gotta give it a little time. But but come on, Jen, <laughs> tell us the answer. Yes or no? But here, okay, <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> we really, honestly, can't handle the truth. To be honest with you, it's gonna take some hearings that are gonna get pretty intense. I, I think both parties will probably amend it, and Republicans control both chambers, so they ultimately control how this looks, but. I, I mean, I would be surprised if they pass something. What's their incentive to pass something uh, other than their constitutional responsibility? What's their incentive as an individual <laughs> member of Congress? Uh, right. Statesmanship. <laughs> what is their incentive? Other than the, the ostensible idea that they should have an interest in like major things that our military is doing. Sure, but who cares? And as long as that 2001 AOMF is not touched, it doesn't, matter it doesn't really matter. I and mean, the White House was yelling at me earlier because I wrote a story that says the headline was literally... Here's why Obama's request for war limits does nothing to limit war, and it's because of this 2001 AOMF. So this new one has all these specific you know, limits on it for the ISIS war, but it doesn't matter because the 2001 AOMF is still out there, and that's way bigger. Right. So the White House says this one really does matter. When have you ever seen a president try to put parameters on his own ability to go to war? That's important, and it sets a precedent. And I'm like, well... I understand that, but from a that's just symbolic. It doesn't change anything legally affecting war. I mean, you could just say, oh, well, sure, this is not uh, cool under the 2015 OMF, but w- under the 2001 OMF, I can do whatever I want. So you guys stop crying. The White House wants this new one because they want Congress to look united with what the White House is already doing. That's it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't understand why, as an individual member of Congress, you would be ready to do that again other than the fact that it's your constitutional responsibility which is a big deal but when has that ever carried much water in congress at least this congress the last couple of congresses no yeah i mean dating back to the iraq war i mean the last time when, when was the last time the the senate really declared a war is there properly the last thing we voted on was in 2003 you guys are just blowing this thing way out of proportion. I mean, it's are just we? war. It's just it's just You're mass right. violence, and it's already been underway You're six right. months. Yeah. We've already spent at least one point three billion dollars. It's, it's also somewhere else, guys. It's not even here. Now you're talking like a guy who's going to do well in the Hugh Hewitt show next time around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss Hugh. <laughs> I'm sure he misses you too. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. Okay, so we're going to jump topics now and come a little bit closer to home. Uh <clears throat> Uh, it's been a weird uptick this week in uh, governors kind of cold fucking up left and right. <laughs> right. Uh, there's there's a there's a long list of people, including some people who uh, fancy themselves as, as contenders for higher office um, uh, doing things that. Um, well, they're kind of they're kind of demented, to be honest. Uh, let's start with let's start with uh, uh, Sam Brownback in Kansas. Okay, so strong contender for America's most functional governor at this stage. Right? Yeah, yeah. You, you, we need sarcasm tags on that, right? <laughs> so Sam Brownback, who who got back into office by the by the skin of his teeth after essentially decimating his state's budget. Um, re- uh, really dividing government. Uh, this week, um, he uh, he rescinded a longstanding uh, state law that protected members of the LGBT community from job discrimination. Uh, prior to this, um, you could not be uh, fired from your job if your boss harbored anti-gay animus. And for whatever reason, Sam Brownback was like, nah, man, Gots to fire them gays. What? And so he rescinded this law. Um, 
It was, it was an executive order, right? Uh, it yes. Was, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, so here's the thing. Brownback has been going around saying, you know, he's, he's all about like fiscal responsibility and fiscal rectitude. Right. This seems like a very strange maneuver just into like rank bigotry. Uh, I, I, I don't, I just, it just seems weird. I don't understand why, what motivates people to do this. And I, I, I feel like once the, once the don't discriminate laws on the books, it usually is pretty hard to go out and say, no, 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 let's actually start discriminating. Uh, I, has, has this happened before where someone said, uh, never mind, no, we, we want to go back to the gay bashing? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know if it's happened before. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that if we look hard enough, we can find an example, but, but it is weird. It's, it, it the, to, to say it's a pressing necessity to ensure that you can discriminate against uh, members of the LGBT community is like kind of crazy to me because it was like, OK, well, I mean, OK, is there like a some kind of rampant epidemic of, you know, Everybody got all gay last year. Yeah. Did, did, did gays and lesbians get tenure or something? It was just like, it, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Jen, you know about gay stuff. I do know about gay stuff. <laughs> this is the same reason why, so this was an executive order. So that was a state level governor passed initiative, which, um, you know, the next governor, just like a president can do, can just be done with it. They can be like, whatever executive order the person before me did, I'm done with it. It's easy. They just get rid of them. Sure, sure, sure. So it's not a law. So that's good. That's worth noting. But um, this is sort of the broader part of a broader issue where Congress still can't bring itself to pass a bill that would ban workplace discrimination against gay people. They can't. And if you ask John Boehner, he will try to avoid answering your question at all costs because he doesn't want to say on the record, you know, I don't think that LGBT people deserve new, new protections. I mean, he doesn't want to say that because I don't think he actually believes that. Right. Know? I don't think he believes that. But the problem is they don't, they're too afraid to touch gay issues in, in the Republican party. It's amazing how, how nothing ever comes up. Like when the, when the Supreme court ruled, uh, was it last year, the year before when they struck down part of the defense of marriage act, there were so many statements coming out on Capitol Hill from Democrats in the house and Senate. It was a huge deal. I was watching, there were like, it was like crickets from Republicans, not even like acknowledging anything had just happened, not, not opposing it, not supporting it, just nothing. They just don't know how to talk about it right now because, you know, five years ago they would have put out statements. They would have said, you know, this is a disappointment, you know, gay people don't deserve special rights, something like that. Right. Now they're in this weird squishy area where they're not really anti-gay as much as they used to be, but they are certainly not ready to run out with rainbow flags and support the economy. Right. Yeah, there's too many young Republicans who are just like, oh, what, when did this become I mean, the issue? reality is a lot of them just don't feel strongly about it. But because they're elected to Congress, they're chicken shit. They're right. afraid to come out and say it because then they would be starting a new trend, even if that's what they, a lot of them really think. And there are, I mean, let's let's be very clear. There is a significant element of the GOP base that is that harbors very nasty feelings toward gay people. That, it's that, that small, exists. though, and it's shrinking. I mean, it's mm -hmm. evident being up there. You can just see it. People just don't feel strongly about this. It's not, it's not like the thing to say anymore. But right. what's weird about this, I mean, what, what's particularly uh, intense about this, this move that Brownback made in Kansas is that when people do say the anti-gay stuff, in, at least in a federal setting, there, there's some other excuse. It's, well, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, or I want to protect religious liberty, or something else. There, there's, some, there's some sort of ideological shield they can put in front of, of the bigotry to make it go down a little bit easier. Here, this is just this is just straight up saying it's cool to it's okay to fire, harass, or or not hire somebody for being gay or, or transgender. I mean that that's that there's no there's no like there's there's no hiding it. It's 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 right out in the open. That's what it does. It's an odd reactionary moment, and and I think Jen's right. I think that what one thing that I think that based upon the kind of people that were electing Republicans 10, 15 years ago, there was like a need for people who probably didn't care about this issue or even didn't want to to discriminate against gays or do anything mean to them, they felt like, well, we got to pander to these people. They've been electing us. Mm. Um, but like the, the, as, as the, as the population uh, gets older and dies, uh, the number of people who actually harbor these kind of like this antipathy for this community 
it goes along with it um, because just younger generations, no matter what state you're in, uh, tend to support uh, things like marriage equality um, more and more as, as, as you drill down. Um, so it's a huge demographic switch that's happening in the United States. It's been, it's been amazing to watch it as someone who's on the Hill a lot. I mean, I remember like five or six years ago, it was commonplace for House Republican members to just go on the House floor when they have general speeches and they can talk about whatever they want and just trash gay people. Just like that was what they felt like doing. And it would happen routinely. It would be, you know, the business is done for the day, floors open for whatever members want to talk about. They whatever. would come out and just be like, you know, it's a shame that, you know, we still allow gay people to share bathrooms with us or, you know, just crazy stuff. And then one would leave <laughs> yeah. and then the next one would come out and they would start trashing gay people. This was not. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That long ago. This was like six or seven years ago. And now that never happens, which, I mean, that's five or six years that's not very much time, but something has happened, yeah. even in there. Part of me suspects Brownback might be running some kind of play because he's got enough problems. So can we point out his name is Brownback? Yeah, Just John saying. Stewart made a lot of fun with him, saying that Brownback may be worthy of Sam Toramizing. <laughs> I, I don't get it. What do you guys mean? <sighs> it... Uh, you just, I'm like, leaving this one Lincoln. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not touching it. <laughs> Go watch John Stewart. Uh, moving on, I want to talk about uh, um, uh, 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 Scott Walker, who went to England. Okay, last week on this show, we talked about how Sabrina made the quip. was like, what's with the Republicans going to England and making fools of themselves? And I said, well, there's only been the two, Romney and, and Christie. We need a third for a trend piece. Here you go, Sabrina. Uh, Scott, Scott Walker went to England on what he was calling some kind of trade mission for Wisconsin because if there's one thing that you need in England, it's cheddar cheese. Um, it's hard to find cheddar cheese in right. Ireland and England. Yeah, yeah, super, super hard. Um, and he 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 uh, he really avoided the press while he was in Great Britain, probably because of people fucking up all the time. But one <laughs> one reporter asked him to talk about evolution, and Scott Walker said, "Oh, I don't know. I'm going to punt on that one." And I was like, "You're going to punt on a seventh grade science question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to punt on algebra. Two x <laughs> equals I don't know." <laughs> I don't know. I'm y equals MX plus. Talk to you later. I'm going to punt on that Judy Bloom book I read. You know, maybe God's not there for Margaret. I don't know. I'm Scott Walker. Don't know. I'm not okay, a scholar. Okay, can we just be clear? Whether or not God is there for Margaret is a pretty complex theological question. It's sort of, that's a tough one. Right. Evolution's not a tough one. No, it's super not tough. Super not tough. Um, but but and I'm not a scientist, man. But here's I, I remember I remember <laughs> I'm not a scientist either. <laughs> you know I'm a I'm a English major, and even I know evolution is a thing, and Miss Andrea is not. <laughs> but the um, <laughs> but um but okay. So I remember uh, a while back when Alex Preen was at Salon and not being fired by Pierre Amidyar, um <laughs> he wrote a thing that was like how to tell if your Republican governor is running for for president. And one of the things he said, well, they start getting shady on evolution. You know, it's just like, it's, you know, you're Chris Christie and you know, you've been well-educated and, and like, you know, you've had to take, you know, earth science in the ninth grade, you know, you probably had a biology class and suddenly you're like, Whoa, you know, evolution. I don't know. I mean, I haven't personally witnessed a monkey transform into a human. So how can I, who's to say about anything? I don't know what's happening on the backside of the moon. Could be all kinds of shit up there. Amusement parks for goats. I don't know. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an astronaut, you know? And like, so. <laughs> Wait, Jen, I want you to talk about amusement parks for goats because I didn't think we were going to go here. And I just, I just kind of want to see how far we can ride with that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Should we put an amusement park for goats on the moon? Has this been a real thing? And we're making it a real thing, just randomly. Okay, um, yes, probably. Boom, done. We'll call it Brown Back done. Amusement Park. This is, now, this is now a Huffington Post initiative. Leading on what's works this week. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put goats on the moon and put them on roller coasters. <laughs> Poor goats. And send Sam that Brown would, back That there. would create jobs. Let's be, to be clear, that would create a lot of jobs. It would be, there's an enormous amount of manpower that would be required, that would be required to, to put goats on the moon. The and only two people who would need to be there would be Sam Brownback and Newt Gingrich. That's right. All set. They could That's tend right. to the farm. Can we also say Newt Gingrich's, I know we're getting way off topic here, but Newt Gingrich's whole lunar colony thing, that was a pretty reasonable proposal given the other crap that Republicans have been pursuing in office recently, like what uh, what Scott Walker did this week and like what, uh, what, what Sam Brownback did this week. I mean, going to the moon is kind of a cool idea. It's actually cool. It's a little far-fetched and maybe a little weird, but it's cool and nobody gets discriminated against. We onto that Mars shit now. Until we get there, (laughs) then discrimination will begin. Right, right. Yeah. Um, You know, flying under the radar on this bad, uh, except in Oregon, flying under the radar on this bad governor is John Kitzhaber, the 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 governor of Oregon, and this is kind of like Andrew Cuomo meets Portlandia level of corruption. Here's what's interesting about this: is that like the cliche, anytime a powerful man gets into trouble, I mean, from Chris Christie to London Whale is that like the men fuck up and the woman gets thrown under the bus. But this is one instance where like, actually like his wife is like really the troublemaker here and he's the enabler. Um, it, it's just like crazy. And and this is like tearing this. Okay. So his, his wife, Sylvia Hayes, um, stands accused of, of using her connections with the Kitzhaber administration to, to, uh, to plump up her consulting business. She's earned something like $200,000 since she took office just simply on like using the office to like wedge business for her. She's failed to report earnings to the IRS. She's used the Kitzhaber staff for personal tasks. My favorite one being she used Kitzhaber's staff, state taxpayer staff to sneak cats into a hotel room. Which sounds great. I mean, I, I have, I have, yeah. uh, let me tell you, when, wherever I travel on this earth, one of the first things I do is try to sneak cats. I mean, going. as a pet owner, it is actually so, kind of a tricky thing for the vacations if, if a place is, is pet friendly or not. Uh, I, not, no cats, but I mean, I've, I've, I have a dog and it can be tricky. Right. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of on Team Hayes here. Okay, that's cool. Now she's, but she's broken a lot of conflict of interest laws. She's used the term first lady to promote her business. She's not, according to ethics guidelines that are extant in Oregon, you can't do that. And prior to becoming first lady, she was involved in sort of a sh- shady green card marriage for money. And she uh, went in on an illegal marijuana grow real estate plot. All of which has ended. This is everything that's happened to John Kitzhaber as a result of that. He's under investigation by the state attorney general. He's under investigation by the state ethics commission. He's in a fight with the Oregonian newspaper over uh, public records and the emails that his wife has has her email account. There's an FBI investigation now, and there's a bunch of recall campaigns. And like this week, wow, yes, it's nuts, and it's, it's crazy. This is flown over the radar. Uh, you know, conservatives will say, "Oh, it's the liberal media covering it up." So I'm here to I'm here to put John Kitzhaber on blast, okay? Because this is like insane how corrupt this is. Um, and and he was going to resign this week, but now he looks like he's going to take the age old advice and not resign. It is it, one way to keep your job is to not quit it. Exactly. It, it actually tends to work pretty well. And I guess he doesn't have like, you but know. He would be quitting because of his wife, right? Yes. But, he didn't actually do anything. Well, but but he allowed, the idea is that fish rots in the head, he allowed all this to happen. And he, and he like he like, knew about all of it. Yes, he could have put the kibosh on it. Has he said that he knew all about it? There, that's, what, that's why there's multiple investigations hmm. to find out what he knew when he knew it. Doesn't you know? it seem like that should be the defining he is Factor. he is vowed he is vowed to like end the practice of his wife trading on the <laughs> his office for personal gain and it's like that's cool but like most people say I will end the corruption before you come into office it's not like you get <laughs> multiple terms in and then win re-election and be like you know what guys thanks I'm going to stop doing this shady shit now 
Is he is is he a particularly effective or ineffective governor? I mean, is he was he well liked in the state before before this scandal? See, I couldn't tell you. Um, a lot of times, corrupt governors are actually pretty popular because corruption, like hard corruption, like you. You know, I'll give you give me this money and I'll get you that contract kind of stuff actually gets things done sometimes. It often gets things done inefficiently. I've seen that at the mayoral but, level. Yeah. I mean, I used no. to live in Providence and we had Buddy Sianci who oh was like connected to the mob, but he and everybody knew it, but he still like rerouted a river through the middle of the city and everyone loved it. Yeah. So everyone's like, hey, he went to jail, came I'll back say, out and got reelected. Yeah. People still like him. I mean, yeah, he has like spaghetti his whole sauce. Yeah. He has his own spaghetti sauce. I'll say that there are a lot of these things circling around Katabur this past election when he was reelected and he was successfully reelected. Uh, so, but so there's there's. I, I think it's fair to say that he's he's fairly popular. But uh, the news reports out of Oregon now is that the whole state is feeling this sort of – the headline said scandal fatigue. Mm. Um, and I think that – I think that um, – I think that things are definitely turning for him uh, now, now that this is happening. Well, but, so weird that a politician would be uh, weirdly corrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, at least, or attracted to somebody who was corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Okay, one of the things, all right, one of the things that this spawned this week was this uh, sort of weird advice to young journalists, right? Ezra Klein was giving advice to young journalists, Felix Salmon advice to young journalists and this kind of spun out into this whole conversation is like should you even go into journalism because it's shitty good do you have any <laughs> advice to young journalists uh well i mean what else are you gonna do with your life i mean i do journalism <laughs> because you know i i tried being a musician for several years and then i fell into journalism and it seemed pretty cool uh you get to write it's you know you don't have to feel like a dick uh you don't have to feel like you know you hurt anybody with your work uh i mean I think it's cool. Um, I think if you want to make a lot of money, you could probably pick something different. But it's cool. I mean, what else are you going to do? What, do? Do something that you like. It makes you happy. If you're into writing, just just write. You know, if you'll make more money than if you like like playing guitar. Jen, when this first started tracking all over on Twitter, I was you know, there's so many sarcastic responses right, I have to have, yeah. like, because the hashtag was like advice to young journalists, right. you know? So it's like, oh my God. I'll like, state for the record that none of us at this table today think we're any great shit that you should listen to our advice. <laughs> I, I do, actually. Okay, okay. Um, uh, all right. I think all three of us are pretty, well, pretty you know, sharp. I, I will say that I've spoken to a few different classes of young aspiring journalists, and every time they asked, so do you think that you know, we should go into this field because it's falling apart and, you know, <laughs> giant newspapers are laying everybody off and, you know, it's just a rough time for the industry. And, and again, I, I'm always tempted to respond to these kinds of things with sarcasm. It's just so easy to make fun of stuff. But in this case, I mean, I've told them always, yes, you have to do it because it's the best job in the world. I mean, what other job is it where it is solely your job to tell the truth? Yeah, I mean... Look, and you uh, get in like really big trouble for not doing it. That's your job. And you get scrappy and a lot of people don't like you sometimes. But that's beside the point because you tell the truth and you put things out there that are important. And I I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. You know, the thing I'll say is that like to me, you sit down and write a news story or sit down and write a column. uh, I think that one of the things that's got to be your guide star is you got to find what it is in the outside world, your subject, the story that fascinates you, that you love, that's important and try to shift any kind of self-love outside to the world outside you. And remember that other people are interesting. Remember that other people know shit you don't and that it's actually really pleasurable to learn something new. And the moment the when you if you the better you get at being able to take the attention off yourself and put it on to outside yourself the person you're talking about the subject you're talking about the better you'll do at this job yeah and so. approach it like you're 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 trying to learn something new it's awesome i mean i will say it's not as good as playing synthesizer in a punk band that's actually more fun but but only like 
it's only like a little bit worse than that. And if anything can be almost as good as playing synthesizer in a punk band that doesn't involve you like damaging your body with exotic chemicals, then you should probably do it. I can say it's a lot more fun than working in a bagel market. Yeah. So I used we, to do that. We've all had. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've delivered pizzas. It sucked. I did a lot of things that suck. Me too. Scanned a lot of documents. I hope this doesn't suck. Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about today, and this is like kind of like the meta journalism moment of this week, um, some big changes at the top of news programs. Uh, Brian Williams, the um, the handsome man who set up clips for NBC Nightly News, uh, is taking a six month is well, he's not taking anything. He's being sent on a six month suspension without pay from Embassy News um, as a result of his telling tall tales about traveling in Iraq. Um, meanwhile, uh, another figure that has some connection with Brian Williams, to be honest, uh, John Stewart, uh, is voluntarily leaving the Daily Show literally to spend more time with his family, according to him. Uh, so we have like changes at the guard at two big, uh, journalism institutions. It's caused people to wonder how to succeed in journalism, how to avoid mistakes. Uh, <laughs> how to not lie about things that are right. easy not to lie about. Right. So let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Brian Williams first. Um, uh, I don't know what to say about, how he ended up in this mess because like it seems to me that he just sort of broke a simple rule which is like don't lie about shit when you're a newsman the the thing is i am kind of on team williams here but only because tom brokaw is supposedly so enthusiastic about him being punished for this and right. Tom Brokaw just really gets under my skin. He's a peck sniff and we acknowledge that but you understand that Brian <laughs> Brian Williams um, okay the, the Brian Williams uh, most uh, most people out there probably have to know about this but in case there's like four of you that don't Brian Williams went to Iraq and he was on a helicopter and the helicopter in front of him got hit by an RPG and, and his helicopter also took maybe some fire but wasn't hit by an RPG and then he told a lot of people that his helicopter was hit by the RPG and now he's in trouble okay so that's that's the Brian Williams story um, and he told this story m- multiple times and the thing of it is is that like to me to me the the uh, the malady here uh, is celebrity I think that like celebrity and fame fuck you up it's like the thing that fucks your life up and i think that what 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 makes a man take a perfectly great news story hey i was in a helicopter i'm in iraq i'm with soldiers helicopter in front of me took rpg fire we all ended up uh on the ground and i talked to a bunch of soldiers about the experience like what is it that takes that story which to me is enough that's like a news story you were there and you saw it you could relate it that's a great story what and what forces what 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 compels you to like start tinkering at the edges of it stretching the truth putting yourself at the center of it and i think it's just i think it's just like brian williams you know at some point transformed from like a sort of like workaday journalist to a big celebrity and once you become famous you start to think well i should have good stories about me or i'm entitled to have good stories about me and you start telling tales out of school and things start to warp jason here's the thing Brian Williams is, and this is true for most new celebrities, he's only kind of famous. The only people who know who he is are old. He is on the nightly news. Nobody watches that except people over 65. So he's not even like a real celebrity. He's not a cool celebrity whose fans like, you know, know what new clothes to be getting and stuff. But his celebrity is central to NBC News' business. You know, this is, this is, his... His shoes are out of style. He doesn't. He doesn't. Not a celebrity. Seem, he doesn't seem like the indispensable man to any of us because, like, from our perspective, it's like you you switch uh, Brian Williams with Lester Holt. What's the fucking difference? Lester Holt can set up a, a a video package just as good as Brian Williams can. But from the from the from the perspective of people like Comcast who own NBC, Brian Williams' celebrity matters, and he figured his celebrity matters too. There apparently Brian Williams is the guy that got NBC to 
do this fucking live Peter Pan show. Do you know the one where his daughter? Great, yeah. Which great. It was not great. <laughs> it was not great. He wanted to host the Tonight Show. He wanted to host the Tonight Show. I was talking to Howard Feynman earlier, and and and, and like we were like that was the moment that someone should have been like, whoa, we should. We should maybe fire this guy. <laughs> like he wants to host the Tonight Show. Seriously, the guy who the guy who's the managing editor of NBC Nightly News. That's what he aspires to do. Well, there's trouble ahead. Comedy, I mean, uh, John Stewart is gone now, and no, uh, or he's not, not gone, but he's going to be gone. He's going to be gone. Yeah, he's going to be gone. He's leaving. Uh, you know, I, I I loved the Daily Show when I was in college, and I, I like it frequently now. Um, Jen, what do you, I mean, how do you feel like that show, because to me when I was in college and like the Iraq war was happening, I felt like the Daily Show was the only place I could go to get somebody who was like critical of of the the sort of lead up to the war. And to me, he was like this really sort of formative, transformative figure in in the news business, even though he sort of resisted that label. I mean, do you, do you feel like he, like, like the, the journalism landscape is going to change once he steps off the stage? He's been in that job for 15 years, right? 16. 16? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised he stayed that long. I think it's time to shake it up a little bit. Why not put Samantha B in there? Why not put a woman in there? Why don't, I mean, his, he's done a great job. That show is, is one of the best, but I don't watch it anymore. Maybe I've just like grown out of it I and mean, it's a good show, but what would make me want to watch it? Change it, do something new. You know, get someone who I can connect to that's fresh and different. Well, and and you're, you're, John Stewart must be burned out, man. Like he's probably wanted to do something else for a little while. And he did talk about being restless. And, and he did. Remember, he just he just like directed a movie. Yeah, yeah. About like something about a Iran, a camera guy in Iran or something. Yeah, a, a journalist in Iran. Yeah. who is who, uh, who, was, uh, who ended up uh, in prison and, and tortured. And it was it got really good reviews. Yeah, good. So I mean, I I think it makes sense to me that he would want out, and that the show could probably use something to give it a boost. Not I don't know nothing about its ratings, but just something to like change it up. You could certainly say he accomplished a whole lot at the Daily Show, not just not just keeping that institution alive and and really transforming it from like Craig Kilborn's kind of like fake funny news to something that like. You know, did try to aspire to like first of all critique the media and and then uh, and then critique politics from a pure like entertainment standpoint. If we want to talk about his value to the entertainment industry, you know, we talk about NCAA coaches who like former players go off to become coaches that they're on. They talk about like the the coaching tree. Right. John Stewart's comedy tree is astounding. He minted so many comedians out of that show. He put Stephen Colbert where he is. He put Larry Wilmore where he is. John Oliver. Um, it, it's just like Steve Carell. Uh, uh, it, it's it, it. People went on from that show <clears throat> to do great things. Uh, I think that I think that there were there have been periods of time that that have been like kind of low points at the daily show. I think that certainly, uh, a few years ago, uh, the daily show, uh, got called out for its lack of diversity. I think they had him dead to rights at the time, mm. but John Stewart and, and his producers clearly put a plan in and brought in more diverse voices and great voices too. Um, but Jen, Jen's got a point there, though. I mean, the the, the really big spinoffs are all are all men, right? You know, the Colbert Report yes. last week. Yeah, tonight. and that's that's a malady throughout late night television comedy. Who is in late night television comedy who's a woman? There is, there was Chelsea Handler on E, and that's literally it. <clears throat> that's literally it. Um, and, and Samantha like, B was hilarious. Whenever she was on comedy on right. on John on the Daily Show, oh, she's amazing. She was like one of my favorites, and not just because she's a woman; she's just hilarious. Right, and then she just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, we did she make fun of Sam Stein once though when she was she was yeah, Sammy Slammy. Oh yeah, Sammy yeah. <laughs> Slammy. Yeah, don't tell Sam, but I thought that was hilarious. She's we all, hilarious. Don't tell Sam. We've all made fun of Sam for that. Good God, <laughs> Sam like making fun of Sam Stein is like falling off a log around here. How exciting would that be to to, to hear that someone like Samantha Bee was going to take over the Daily Show? It That'd would be, be fantastic. It would be a little bit pathbreaking. It was pathbreaking that Larry Wilmore got the Nightly Show because there's also. A dearth of, uh, of 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 persons of color. I mean, we had uh, for a brief period of time. I mean, Arsenio Hall's broken in a couple times yeah. for a brief period period of time on FX. W. Kamal Bell uh, ran a show that was quite good, uh, and I, it would be it would be neat to see him in this mix in this conversation for replacing Daily Show too because he's got the right balance of 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 
smarts, uh, really good, really good comedian, and also a sense of engagement. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is a, there is a chance now for The Daily Show to, to sort of mix things up for the sake of showing us a different perspective. I feel and like we'll get fewer Husker doing replacements references, though, because, you know, Jon Stewart was a bartender in like the, the indie rock scene back in the, back in the day. And I kind, of, I kind of always liked it. When we need new references to other things that right. other people can get. No, only for white men. <laughs> Something that white dudes will not get. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys, for being here. Zach Carter, Jen Bendry, it's great to have you at last. We've been asking Why do you keep you. saying at last? Because we've asked you a bunch of times and you yeah. weren't able to come on. Always turn ask us down. in the middle of the week when I'm on the hill. We're super it irresponsible. It's nice. It's genuinely nice to have you It was here. not personal at all. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. It, Jen, it's going to be great when you're running the Huffington Post. You gotta, the Post. Ba- I'm sorry. you got to explain uh, the brown back joke to me, though, when we're done. All right. Uh, okay. Off. <laughs> off air. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta, Chris Gentleviso, and Adriana Usero. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by HuffPost reporters Zach Carter and Jen Bendery. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Please check us out in the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thank you for listening. We miss you already. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.